challenge and humble the choleric. Brought to you by Soka and the Fatima Center. Kevin Rorty discusses the strengths and weaknesses of the choleric, both in the natural and the spiritual life. At times, the choleric must learn to redefine his goals. He must acknowledge that value lies not just in achievements, and that the two sides of human life include external goals and intimate relationships. This is the 24th episode in Our Lady's Shock Troops, a series dedicated to the interior life. Praise be Jesus and Mary. I'm David Rodriguez, Content Director of the Fatima Center, joined by my good friend Kevin Rorty of Soka, Souls of the Christian Apostolate. Kevin, thanks for joining me again. Thanks, David. It's great to be here. So we continue discussing Our Lady's Shock Troops, How to Develop the Interior Life. And last time we talked about the sanguine temperament. So today, Kevin, I'm going to ask you to sort of guide us through the choleric temperament. Just also want to remind everyone that, God willing, this coming weekend, Christ the King weekend, Fatima Center has got its conference in New Hampshire. So if you can make it, might still be a few spaces left. Uh, we encourage you to call. Love to have you there. But even if you can't make it, please do pray for us. Please do pray for all those attending the conference. A lot of work goes into these things, and we certainly need a lot of prayer. So on that note, Kevin, we need prayer for everything. It might be great if you could just start us off with a prayer. Nice transition, David. In nomine Patris, Filii, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Veni Sancte Spiritus, reple tuorum corda fidelium, et tui amoris in eis in emescende, emite spiritum tuum et creabuntur. Et renovabis facenterri. Oremus, Deus qui quota fidelium, sancti spiritus illustrazione docuisti, da nobis in eodem spiritu recta sapere, et de eus semper consolatione gaudere, per Christum Dominum nostrum, amen. 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 All right, so, Kevin, we talked about the temperaments last time. Now we're going to talk about the choleric temperament. I personally tend to like that one quite a bit. You know some good cholerics, but uh, you also can uh, have some tough run-ins with cholerics. And so if you recall again, when we talk about the reaction or the response you have to something, the choleric generally will respond quickly and the reaction that he gets, the impression, will have a more enduring, lasting effect. So like the sanguine, responds quickly, but unlike the sanguine, has a longer and lasting, enduring uh, response that the impression makes. So any practical things about the choleric and then maybe the spiritual things, Kevin? Sure. So I'm just going to list off some of the strengths and weaknesses of the cleric to get an idea of what we're talking about. Generally, if you're talking about the four different temperaments in terms of what they relate to in the material world, the sanguine would be known as sort of associated with air and the cleric would be associated with fire. And we'll get into the other ones later, but the, the cleric fire, think of people that are kind of ruling, domineering, leaders, producers, people who push things forward, you know, project we'll call leaders. St. <laughs> <laughs> Paul. Yeah. Okay. So some of the strengths of the cleric would be ambitious, passionate. They're like leaders, focused, efficient, practical, typically good at problem solving. Not always, but typically have a higher intelligence. They're motivated, delegators, and they're good in emergency situations typically. The weaknesses for the cleric, you can imagine with those strengths of just kind of moving forward in directions, typically associated with things like pride. So aggressiveness, domineering, inflexible, impatient, uh, rude, argumentative. They can't relax. They can't appreciate things very well. 
They tend to have low compassion or empathy, especially for people who are slower, uh, don't tend to show that caring side as much. They can be intolerant, um, and they can also be quite sensitive, actually. So that just hopefully gives a general snapshot of the choleric temperament. Um, before I dive into some of the spiritual things, David, did you want to comment or... As you were mentioning those strengths and weaknesses, I thought to myself, just to remind people of the little cartoon I use for the choleric. He's on this walking down the street. He wants to get somewhere, and there's that brick wall in front of him. So one way or another, he's going to get through that brick wall. So I was going to say, well, the advantage is that, you know, the choleric blows up the brick wall, gets through it. And the disadvantage, the weakness is the choleric blows up the brick wall. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's that two-edged sword again. And then again, just real quick reminders to everyone. A temperament is often sort of like almost, you could say, built into your DNA, part of your genetic code, like how tall you're going to be or the color of your eyes, things of that sort. So you're often born with it. And because it can be genetic in some ways, I mean, I don't think the science has really got it figured out how genetic, you know, if it skips a generation, et cetera. But certainly very often, you know, your parent might have one of these strong characteristics. So I definitely would classify my father as very much a a pretty stereotypical choleric. He's got a lot of those characteristics. You know, we talk about people can be 75% one, 25% another. Yeah, I think my dad is, is heavy on the choleric side. And so it is no surprise that I see some of the choleric in myself, both because I've seen it in him and your father, who you imitate, but yeah. also it might be part of that just DNA sort of genetic fabric I have. Um, and so as we said last time, that's never an excuse. It's good to be aware of this and know it about yourself. All it means is, great, use those strengths, figure out the weaknesses and overcome those. And you're going to have to also tap into, quote, unquote, the other strengths of the other temperaments to utilize them. That's kind of all I want to do is way of recap and reminding everyone, because those are things that I continually need to tell myself. So I forget yeah. those things. Got to remind myself of these things. Yeah. And I would recommend anyone who hasn't seen that initial episode about what the four temperaments are in general, go watch that because – it's important to remember that this isn't something that you just accept, oh, that's just how I am. The way you would want to assess what your temperament is, is what you were naturally inclined to, especially as a child, without having developed discipline and self-improvement and learning how to gear your passions and all that. So as far as the cleric, you know, one thing that you want to emphasize with the cleric is their ability to have you could call it a healthy ambition. Ambition can be a vice, certainly, but in the modern English way of using the word ambition, it's often used interchangeably with the vice of presuming on your own power or the healthy sort of magnanimity of striving for a great goal that you attain to. That would be a virtue. And so you want to appeal to a cleric. If you're training a cleric, say children, or you are a cleric, appeal to that desire for great things um, and then use that desire to channel their, your energy toward things that are good. That's why it's really important for a cleric to meditate on spiritual things, to gear that not toward achievement just in a worldly sense, you know, and it's good to have a healthy, like, striving for. This is what a lot of men, especially today, don't have. I talked to a lot of young Catholic ladies who they're kind of upset that there's a lot of men who don't have industriousness or competency in a different trade or business or whatever, you know, and so finding someone they look up to and admire in that way and feel like they can rely on him is, is not – it's more difficult uh, these days. And so that should be a healthy thing encouraged in cholerics. The problem with that is that they can become obstinate. So in the trajectory of the spiritual life, probably more than any other temperament, you could say, cholerics might get to the prayer of simplicity, advancing through the purgative stage more quickly than the other temperaments because they're like, well, if I'm going to advance, 
they just set their mind to it and it's like, boom, you know, but they also tend to have a lot of pride. So overcoming that hurdle, once you've conquered the sins of the flesh, for example, the clerics tend to be able to do that more easily. It's like, all right, I'm just setting my mind on a goal that's not just my flesh and I'm going toward it. So they're, they're able to get past that, but, but they rely so much on themselves. That's where it's like, once you hit the hurdle of it's not just your, your, these external things, but you have to humble yourself before God, rely on him, accept your own weakness, accept your own limitations as a human being. That's where it really becomes difficult for clerics typically. So it's important that they learn to accept and embrace humiliation. And in that humiliation or in that recognition of their their insufficiency on their own to rely on God's providence to say, I'm not the one who's going to make myself holy. Ultimately, I dispose myself. I work toward this goal. But part of my working toward this goal is learning to rely more and more on God. So especially emphasizing that interior life where your goal isn't just some check off the list sort of thing out there. It's a relational goal, a relational goal with the personal God who dwells in our soul. It's a really important element for clerics to keep in mind so that their drive is in a healthy way connected to compassion and love and charity, which is the essence of perfection. Just everything you're saying is very helpful for me. I did want to mention, just before I forget, real quick, sort of on the side, I found this book helpful, so I did want to mention it. If anyone wants to read something more about this, there is a book out there called The Four Temperaments, and it is by a father, Conrad Hawk. It's actually a small little book, kind of thin. You might throw it up on the screen here, and it'll give you, you know, more insights from this priest. So with the choleric, I guess my questions would be the spiritual life. How is he going to grow in the spiritual life with those humiliations that you're talking about that he needs? Any tips you have on that? Because he's so adverse to it. The choleric is going to be so uh, so strongly opposed, I think, to those humiliations, and yet that's precisely what he needs. I think that's just going to be tough for the clerics. So that's what I'm saying. Do you have any spiritual tips on that kind of yeah. on that front? Well, I mean, I always come back to the interior life in the sense that the cleric needs to learn that he does have a desire. He or she does have a desire for intimacy and to part of that humiliation can be a learning to not just strive to achieve, but to have that intimacy. Um, those are kind of two sides of human life is work toward goals, but also intimacy. And so to learn to foster that in his heart, especially with God in prayer, so that you're not your worth isn't just in what you can achieve or not achieve or the riches that you attain or whatever. You realize that that all ends up dissipating. That's the essence of the soul of the apostle is understanding that it's not just a matter of activism, doing a lot of things. The heart of everything has to come from that personal transformation in God. So I would say channeling that that drive to the transforming union. I want to attain the very heights of the spiritual life. I'm aiming for where the saints are. And in that process, I'm going to be very diligent about my daily plan of life, about my order, about my habit of daily mental prayer. And I'm going to push the clerics. You know, St. Alphonse the Grace says anyone who really loves God should be doing two hours of mental prayer a day, you know, but at minimum they should be doing 30 minutes a day. That's what St. Alphonse the Grace says. So if you want to strive for greatness, like, Think about maybe if you're a choleric, you know, think about how much time you waste. You know, I'm going to challenge you to say, okay, let's say you, you probably waste at least an hour a day. What if you did a mental prayer for another hour every day and you stop wasting time? You could become a saint. 
But it's going to be in that because it's in that time, especially that you're going to find true purification. God's going to work in your soul because when you enter into that and you do that a lot, you spend hours a day in prayer or even just one, one and a half hours a day. Over time, you're going to get to a place that we've talked about where your prayer is no longer what you're used to controlling. It's not this meditative control. It's now it's this kind of dry, just being with God. And you're like, whoa, this I'm kind of like floating in this. I'm not used to this. I'm not like everything else in life. I'm used to controlling, you know, and that's exactly the time where God is going to start working on you in that way. And he might chill you out a bit in terms of realizing, okay, you know, I'm going to die. No matter if I did the most amazing thing in the history of the world, you know, it might be like one line in a history book. And when the world ends, like who cares? You know, I mean, uh, you're going to realize you're just a speck in comparison to God. And that's where true holiness and, and perfection and all the things that are worthwhile is, is found. So that, that's kind of what I'd recommend to a choleric. I think that's definitely true. I was going to say, I think a lot of times for the choleric, because very goal oriented, right? They know what the goal is. And so they're just going to push real hard until they get there. And so I think what we're saying here is that a lot of times in the spiritual life, because the goal is something that only God can achieve in you by grace, that can frustrate you as a choleric. And therefore, instead, reshift your focus so that the goal is not, let's say, on achieving the contemplative stage or achieving all these virtues, but rather just sort of like the nitty gritty, the smaller things that are, let's say, within your control. I don't know who said it, but one of the phrases I do like, I think it's something like, God grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. You've probably yep. heard that one. Right, and so the choleric probably is is doing kind of okay on the courage to change the things he can, but he exactly. may be thinking he can change everything. And and so he needs that serenity on the things that he can't change, right? And that's also, I think, j- just very much pray for that, right? Pray to God that you can be at peace with the things you cannot change. And maybe even look at different scriptural examples. I was recently just very impressed. I'm actually reading Father Mosley's book. Some of you may know Father Mosley because I've interviewed him on the Fatima Center. And he goes into Susanna from the Bible, right? Susanna and Daniel. Hopefully you know the story of Susanna. I'm not going to get into that right now, but I'm just going to highlight one line that he said. I wish I had the text in front of me, but he basically said that Susanna comes to this one point where she realizes that she can't escape. She can't win by like running away. She can't win by fighting. She basically can't win no matter what. Like whatever she does, speaks, doesn't speak, she's going to die and they're going to kill her. All she can do is resist evil and sort of accept herself in this patient resignation to say, I won't cooperate with evil. And in the end, that's actually what undoes it all, right? That's how God's grace operates. So she sort of felt helpless. She couldn't do anything. And I say that because I think for a choleric, that would be extremely difficult to be in a position where you can't fight, you can't defend, you're trapped. Anywhere you go, you're going to lose and not accomplish these goals. But then you sort of have to refocus and you have to say, wait, there's still like this option here. And that's to fix my will, my very strong will that the choleric has in saying, I simply won't cooperate with evil. Come what may I won't activate my will to do the wrong thing, the thing that I know is wrong, and then I've got to pick up that cross and and resign myself with patient endurance like our Lord did. And that is going to be extremely difficult. And so if the choleric can pull that off, uh, there will be, I think, a path towards that heroic virtue and sanctity that will help allow God's grace to transform him. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. Any other tips for the choleric? With, uh, final closing thoughts, Kevin? I mean, I think... Just this is why I mean I I have a choleric tendency for sure and I, wow. I would just say um, yeah I knew uh, that was something I really liked about you Kevin <laughs> um 
And I would just say, yeah, the interior life, I mean, there's so many things we want to be able to control ourselves and perfect ourselves. And God is the one who ultimate, like, God is the one who does that. There's so many hidden faults we can't even see that we have. And that's why just staring at him, you know, I've thought about it, especially I asked the priest once, all the problems in the church, you know, how do you, how do you stay calm? And he says, just look at our Lord. Just look at, just keep your eyes on Christ. You know, and so with all the problems we have ourselves, keep your eyes on Christ. And sometimes things start to just, oh, that becomes obvious how I could change this or that. And, um, yeah, I, I can't recommend it enough in interior life. Well, thank you, Kevin. God willing, we meet again in a couple of weeks here and we can talk about the melancholy temperament, right? Absolutely. Look forward to uh, it. I'll close this with a Hail Mary. Ave Maria, gratia plena. Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus. Et benedictus fructus ventris, tu Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus. Nuc et in hora mortis nostre. Amen. Our Lady of Fatima. Pray for us. In the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thanks a lot, Kevin. Have a great week. Thanks, David. God bless everyone. This presentation has been brought to you by the Fatima Center. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. For more resources regarding the spiritual life, the Catholic faith, and the message of Fatima, and to support this vital apostolate with a donation, please visit our website, Fatima.org, or call us at 1-800-263-8160. May all we do be for the glory of God and salvation of souls. St. Ignatius and St. Jerome, pray for us.